when I was a kid, something that was very interesting to me was what I would be like when I turned 24. <laughs> you ever wonder that? Just me? All right. But I, I wanted to know what I was going to be like when I was adult. 24 is a very arbitrary number, maybe to you, but to me, uh, 24 is a big deal. I was number 24 in every sport that I ever played. Uh, it seemed like the number 24 followed me around basically every day of my life. It was just my favorite number. I, I loved it. And so it made sense that I said, I wonder what I will be like when I am 24, you know, like when I take on the identity of a 24-year-old, what will I be like? Uh, the silly kind of jovial uh, understanding of me wanting to know what I was going to be like when I was an adult actually turned out for my good. Uh, because wanting to know what I was going to be like at 24 years old actually had me starting to think about what does it mean to be an adult? Like, what does it mean for me to make decisions uh, as a teenager, as an adolescent, and as a young adult? Uh, and where do I need to be at when I'm 24? It had me thinking about it. And it wanted, I wanted to know more about what, did it, what does it mean to be an adult? What do I got to do as an adult? Uh, and I believe this. Knowing about, about being an adult had me also planning to become an adult. And so even at a young age, uh, God had set in my heart to want to be an adult and want to do it well. And it won, I got to this place at 24, and I realized when I got to 24, then I, has, I thought, oh, I hadn't thought past this point. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, but at that point, I, I had the thought about what does it mean to be 24? Well, in my life, you know, I knew it probably at 24, I'd be done with college. Uh, I'd be having to think about seminary. Uh, you know, I'm 24. I'm not getting any younger. Probably starting to look for, uh, you know, a wife. Uh, and you did all those things. And I just planned, you know, and I had planned for these things because I saw them uh, coming in my future. I saw these things as, uh, as imminent in my life, so I needed to start planning for them and understanding what is all this about. Well, being a Christian works the same way, right? You realize that where you are right now is not where you're going to end up for eternity. You, you believe that if you're sitting in here. I hope you do. Uh, and you also should believe that God has a lot of plans for eternity. God has a lot of things in store for His people and for His plan in eternity. And it would behoove us as Christians to wonder about those things. Do you ever wonder what's eternity going to be like? Do you ever wonder what's going to happen? Do you ever think about it? Not, not just... Every once in a while, ah, I can't wait to get up there and float into the clouds. Like, not, not, not wonder, that's wonder, right? Like I wondered. I wondered, had no idea what it was going to be like to be an adult, but I wondered. Okay, but it got past wondering and it got to thinking. Have you ever thought about eternity? Thought, thinking, think, hmm, because there's some real things going to happen and I need to think about them and I need to understand something about eternity that it's real. And if it's real, it has substance. And if it has substance, it's something that I can grasp and at least partially, not fully, but partially understand. Now I'm thinking about it. Well, now that you're thinking about it, you should probably start planning for it. We as Christians need to be living here planning for there. You've been wondering about it, you need to start knowing about it, you start thinking about it, you need to start planning for it. Because what, what I don't want you to do is be maybe on this threshold of this life, uh, maybe, maybe if you die before Christ comes back to rapture his church, I don't want you standing on the threshold of life thinking, I was not prepared for this. Right? And I'm like, no, you have spent the last however many years you've been here on earth should have been planning for this the whole time. Like You should have, because scripture talks about it, we need to be planning for it. And as Christians, uh, as we end our sermon series on navigating culture, because that's what I hope you've been able to do a lot better since you've been at church here over the last uh, five weeks that are in this series of navigating culture, I hope you've been able to navigate culture better using the Bible, using uh, the framework of how we understand and how we know things to be true concerning God's Word and life and our salvation and our destiny and eternity. I hope you've been able to navigate those ideas and those things better because of this sermon series. Now, in the end of this sermon series, today being the last one, here's what we need to do, and it's the title of our sermon. You need to begin with the end in mind. I mean, you, you always knew this to be true, right? Uh, you need to begin with the end in mind. You need to understand that there's an end, uh, and it's uh, perfect, and it's got a structure, it's got a flow, uh, it's got a framework, uh, and it's real. Okay, you don't have to try to make that up as you go along. It's there. So what you've got to do is begin understanding that that's the case. And as much as we can in our finite minds, 
And it's more than you think when it comes to thinking about eternal things. You can do this a lot more than you think because God has revealed it to us. All of it, no. A lot of it, yes. He's revealed it in his word. In scripture, he's revealed to us so much about things to come that we would be foolish not to jump in and learn and plan for what is to come. But when I think about the here and now, the only way we're going to navigate a culture successfully right now when it comes to eternity, is to set our focus on the realities of the Christian life that are to come, that those things that await those whose life is hidden with Christ. We've got to do that. There's a lot of implications and a lot of reasons we've got to set our focus on the future realities if we even want to live for the Lord now. Nobody who doesn't know what's coming isn't going to be living for the Lord right now. But those who know what's to come and know the glory that's going to be revealed, that knows the good that's coming, is going to have a lot easier life living for the Lord right now, knowing what's to come. But it's the Christian or the person who professes Christianity who knows nothing about what's to come, who struggles every single day to live for the Lord because they don't even know what's there. They don't know what's in store. So let us be those who have turned from their sins and trusted in Christ and want to say, I want to know and I want to plan for what's to come. Let's do that. Paul does this even in Colossians chapter 3. You can turn there in your Bible or on your tablet. Colossians chapter 3. We'll be in verses 2 through 4. But here in Colossians 3, 2 through 4, uh, the apostle Paul uh, wants the Colossian church to focus on the future aspects of their faith. And he wants them to do it not then, not there, not in eternity. He doesn't want them to start focusing on eternity when they get there. He wants them to start focusing on eternity now as we should as Christians. Look at verse 2. Paul says, You need to be able to set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. I want you to do one thing. If you write in your Bible, uh, circle minds. You should write in your Bible. You, all, you should write in your Bible. Uh, if you have a real just consternation about writing in your Bible, take a note on a piece of paper and just circle minds, okay? Uh, the word minds comes from the Greek, and it's the word phroneo. Okay, and phroneo means this, that you're not just, it's not just something that's been fleeting in your mind. It's something that you have, give, it's giving continual consideration. It's having your mind dwell on something. You ever dwelled on anything in your life? Usually it's bad things, isn't it? You dwell because you're worried, you dwell because you're concerned. If you didn't study for your math test last week, you're dwelling on the fact that you're going to get a bad grade and you have to tell your parents, right? Uh, these are things that you dwell on, and usually you dwell on things that are, that are bad, uh, and as Paul is going to make a point later, usually you dwell on things that are earthly. Whether you're an adult or a student, a teenager, uh, you dwell on things that are of the earth, and we'll get there. But Paul's saying you need to dwell on things that are above. There's something interesting about the word for Neo here. You, you underlined it, right? You circled it, highlight that thing? Good. Because this, uh, if you know English, this word is what we call a second-person imperative, present and active, okay? And here's all that means for you. Uh, it's second person imperative, which when Paul's saying this, he's not saying, I need to set my mind on things above. He's saying, you need to set your, things on, uh, your mind on things above. means this. It's a command in Scripture that's telling you to do something. Don't you love it when, when you're trying to figure out directions and you don't know the directions, you don't know how to do something, and somebody says, hey, let me tell you how to do it. Do this. You like that, don't you? Because we like getting direction. This is a place in Scripture where it's actually literally telling you to do something. You're like, what is the Bible telling me to do? It's telling you to do this. Set your minds on things above. It's a second person imperative. It's also present. It's not a future tense, which means it's telling you to do it right now. It's something we have to do as we speak, right this moment. Now, it's present, and it's also active, which means you participate in the verb. Right? It means you have something and a part in, in playing this verb out in our lives, in our world. You have got to be today, right this moment, commanded in Scripture to set your minds on things above right now. And you have a job to do. I have a job to do. We have a job to do to set our minds on things that are above. Now, you say, what are these things above? Well, we'll get there, but just hold on. Because here's what we can't do. You may not know all the things that are above, and we'll, we'll talk about many of those this morning, but what you do know are things that are here on the earth. Look at the, verse, the, the rest of verse 2. It says this, make sure you set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. I bet you could give me just a plethora of examples of things that are here on the earth that you set your minds on. I bet you can tell me a, a list of at least 100 things in the next 20 seconds of things you dwell on here on earth. Concerns you have, worries you have, anxieties you have. And you know what's interesting about all those things? 
you have worries, anxiety, and fear about things that are physical, right? Uh, that's the reason Scripture teaches, like, the more you have, the more you worry about, okay? Uh, the more concern and more worry and more concern you have in your life often uh, is in concert with the amount of stuff you have, and Scripture makes it clear that we can't be focusing on these things because there's a glorious reality to everyone's life as Christians that's coming, that isn't here yet. But you've been sealed for it. You're preparing for it. It's not here yet, but you have a responsibility to set your minds on it, even though it's not here. But it will be, and you've got to know that. And there are things also that Paul's understanding in this dichotomy of, I know there are things that are already here, and you're tempted to focus on them, but you can't. Because the more you focus on these things, the less you can focus on these things. And the difference is, is these things are dying and they're temporary and they're perishing and these things are eternal. So it's futile for you to focus in on these things that are never going to last when you can be focusing on these things that are going to last for eternity. But for us to do that, we have to set our minds on those things. And we have to understand that as the world sees, is not how God sees. As the world sees, the more you can procure in your own life, the better off you're going to be. But to Christ, the more that you can focus on Him and the things of heaven, the eternal things, the better off you're going to be. Now, these things that are on the earth, they're, also, they're obviously visible things. And Paul is saying, phroneo, same word. He's using the same verb from verse 2 in, or to the last, yeah, the, the beginning of verse 2. It's the same verb at the end of verse 2, phroneo. Don't set your minds, your desires, and your actions on these things. Now, Here's the, here's the hard part for Christians, right? Because a lot of Christians, right, if you're not reading your Bible all the time, maybe this is what you're thinking. Well, I'm not focusing on sinful things. Like, I'm not sinning all the time. Maybe you are. I, I would probably agree that many of us are, and we got to stop focusing on those things. But you realize this didn't say, stop dwelling on sinful things, right? It didn't say sinful things. It said earthly things. Now, often it's earthly things that draw you into sin and make you do sinful things, but we have to understand here, it's not just talking about sin. We're simply talking about things that are transient, things that are perishing, things that will not be here. Those are the things that we shouldn't focus on. Is it bad to have nice things? Well, it depends. How did you get them? Did you come by means of stealing them? Yeah, it's a bad thing. Uh, but it's not bad to have nice things when you're stewarding those nice things for the advancement of the kingdom of God, you realize. By, by all means, go buy a big, nice house and make sure you invite 100 people over a week. Right? Do all those things, but make sure you do them for the right reason. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this exact thing in Matthew 6. Go ahead and flip there in your Bible. Quickly flip to Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Here we're going to see Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he wants us to understand when it comes to focusing on the right thing focusing on the appropriate thing and not focusing and making sure that we neglect these things that we ought not to be living for. You there? Matthew 6, look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Here's already the concept, right? You need to not be laying up. This idea that you're, you're, you're taking it and you're putting it somewhere. You're storing something up. It's basically this concept of, hey, you're not even using this right now. How many of you guys have things that you just laid up somewhere you're not even using? All of us? Yes. Okay. Do not lay up for yourselves, right? Treasure on earth where moth destroys. I mean, you got certain closets that you literally put certain wood in so moths don't eat your clothes. I mean, think about this. If you wore them every day, they wouldn't be eating them, all right? Uh, you have, you, have, uh, you have containers, uh, you have storage facilities that you park your precious metal uh, things like cars and boats because you know rust is going to destroy it. And so you try to put it in a place where it's not going to rust. Uh, you put locks on about everything you own because you're afraid that thieves are going to break in and steal. Doesn't this just make you anxious just reading it? It should, because what Jesus is saying is you can't be thinking about these things. These things can't be the things you're invested in in this world because they're just, they take so much of your time and so much of your energy that you're not even going to be able to focus on the things of God. We've got to make sure we're focusing on the things of God. And that's what he says in verse 20. Look at it. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither, uh, neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. That, that's worry-free, isn't it? I mean, I'm thinking like, hey, that stuff's up there with God. Like my salvation in Scripture says it's being protected by the power of God. And it's being preserved and it's waiting. It's waiting for the return of Christ and he's going to give me all the things that pertain to my salvation. Like it's being protected by God. I mean, there's no security system that's going to do that. 
Right? There's no rust-oleum paint that, that can keep my rust away like heaven can keep my rust away. I mean, I want you to think about this, and I want you to start planning for it. In verse 21, this should be the kicker for all of us. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a place that I could sit for uh, probably five hours as a pastor, because here's the problem. We're not talking about having nice things. We, we're not just talking about having nice things. We are talking about where is your treasure? Like Where is your heart? When you open your billfold, let's use your checkbook, what's written on the lines? When I look and I uh, look at your account, your credit card account, your bank account, what do I see over and over and over again, this car part, this car part, these clothes, these shoes, kids sports camp next week, kids sports camp the next week, kids sports camp the next week. Kids. I mean, what am I looking at? And where is your heart? Because wherever your heart's, your treasure's going to be there. Where your focus is, it's where you're going to be spending your time, it's where you're going to be spending your money. When you talk to somebody, and I love, I love this, because uh, when, you, when you're a pastor and you're preaching to people all the time, uh, you kind of start understanding how people think and talk. And I love, and I meet new people, and literally 10 seconds into the conversation, I already know what, they, what means the most to them in their life, because they can't not talk about it. They always want to talk about it. It's the first thing that they want to talk about when they get up. It's the last thing they want to talk about when they go to bed at night. And what I am encouraging you to do is to check where your heart is because those things that you can't get out of your mind are the places where your heart and your life dwells. And the concern that you ought to have, perhaps, is that you don't think about eternity when you wake up in the morning. You don't think about eternity when you go to bed at night. You look at your bank account and it has nothing to do with eternal things. You look in your home and it's full of earthly perishing things and just the very things that you have your most pride in. And it ought not to be so. And I get it, right? It's hard. It's hard not to focus on temporary things when you don't think about eternal things. It's hard not to think about temporary things when our world is filled with temporary things. I mean, every commercial online is designed to get you to buy something that's temporary. I mean, every, every uh, social media is designed to understand the algorithms of how you think and how you act and how you scroll and what you stop at so it can, you know, fine-tune the ads that pop up. And all the things in life are trying to get you to focus on things that are right here, right now. And the Bible is trying to get you to do anything but that. The Bible is trying to get you to focus on things that are not transient, not perishing. And the best way for us to understand that and to know that the best way for us to focus on things that are eternal and not things that are here and now is to do this. It's point number one, and it's to get serious about knowing the future reality of your faith. You need to get serious about knowing the future reality of your faith. I mean, there is nothing that, that, that can kill your desire for things that are perishing more than when you can look and understand things that are eternal. Like, nothing tells me I don't need that new boat when I understand what's coming in the future what's coming for my eternity. Nothing tells me that I can say no to these transient things more than when I can say yes to the things that are eternal. I want to give you one example, just one example of many so far. Go to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Revelation 19, we'll start in verse 6. I want you to see what's, what's waiting, something that's waiting and you can put it on your calendar. Maybe don't put a date. That's heretical. <laughs> but at least put it somewhere at the back, of your, uh, the back of your calendar, knowing someday this is going to happen. Someday I can look forward to this. Verse 6, it says, Then I heard what seemed, in Revelation 19, to be the voice of a great multitude. So there's going to be a lot of them, so that's good. There's going to be a lot of people. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. And here's what they were doing. They were crying out, hallelujah. So there's already there's something good happening. It's a party uh, that you want to be at is what, is what we're already hearing. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. We know who's going to be there. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. Now here's, here's the subject. Here's what's going on. Here's the event. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Okay, we call this, in eschatology, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, there is a legitimate historical event that will happen. And the bride, 
which in Scripture, you go to Ephesians 5, uh, we understand, you, you read Ephesians 5, it talks about husbands, uh, love your wives like Christ loved the church, uh, wives submit to your husbands and all things is to the Lord. Those are very necessary biblical principles for marriage. But do you know what Paul says at the very end of that in what, uh, verse 33, 22? 33. You know what he says? He says, I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and his church. You hear that? I'm not talking about marriage. He said, of course, do these things. That's what he says at the very end. Of course, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit on all things to your husbands. But he's like, my point here isn't talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and his church. When we talk about the bride making herself ready, we're talking about the church. We're talking about the saints of God who have prepared themselves for this event. Now, the best way you can prepare for, prepare for this event is obviously recognizing you're a sinner, recognize you have a holy, just God who's created the universe, who, who loves to, to redeem lost souls, who wants you to turn from your sins and trust in him. That's the way, you're gonna, that's the way you have to prepare. You're not going to be there. But you realize when it says, the marriage of the Lamb has come. It's a historical event. It's coming. And the bride has made herself ready. In verse 8, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. We always tell people, like, as, be a Christian. You don't earn your Christian faith. You don't earn the badge of Christian. It's granted to you. Just like here, it's granted to you to be in the presence of Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's granted to you. It's something that has been given to you by God. But here's, here's something interesting that I want you to pay attention to when it comes to planning and knowing and being prepared about what your life should look like here. It's going to be granted to you to clothe yourself with fine linen, bright and pure. But look, what is the fine linen made out of? Look at this fine linen. It's going to be given to you, but here's what this linen is going to be made out of. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Your literal lives here have implications for eternity. Right? Even here, we're going to say that my life here, my righteous deeds, that means good works, the things that I'm doing here and now have implications for eternity. I'm going to be clothed in those things. Is it because it's my righteousness? No, it's because that any righteousness that comes out of a sinful man is indeed the righteousness of Christ, which should be glorified in, which is worthy, which is wonderful. And any good that comes out of my life is a testimony to the thing that God has done in me, and it should be paraded, and it should be presented before Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You hear this. Your life today has real implications on eternity. And it's not just at your salvation, it's your life after salvation. Christian, you have things to do here. Is what he says in verse 9. This is, the, this is both the blessing, the joy, but also the warning that we should heed to. And, he, and the angel said to me, write this. I want you to write this down. I want everybody to know this. All these other things, obviously you're going to record these, but this is what I want you to write. Write these words. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Did you hear that? you got to be invited. Invitation only. This isn't an open wedding. You know who's coming to the marriage supper of the Lamb? People who have been invited. Right? People who have responded to the invitation to come to me. That is Christ. Like That's who's going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you see what I'm talking about? Real historical events that are coming that have real implications based on your life right here, right now. And that's why it's so pivotal and so important that as Christians, we get serious about knowing the future reality of our faith because just giving you this one example, and there are many, Scripture is full of, of what it's going to be like. But it, even this one example should tell you, oh man, not everyone's going. I mean, isn't that what most people say? Everyone's going to heaven. Yeah, I'm a, everyone's a good person. Everyone's going to heaven. But this is telling me everyone's not going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Everyone's not going to be in the presence of Christ. Only those who are invited. And that future reality should impress upon you and I uh, personally to make sure we're going to be invited, right? make sure that we have made a personal uh, response to the gospel to turn from our sins and trust in Christ, right? but also that we're not running around focused so much on the things of this earth that we can't look other people in the eyes and say, I want you to be invited. I want you to come. I want you to be there. It's going to be great. Uh, from what I hear, a lot of people are going to be there. They're going to be, they're going to be, they're going to be praising the Lord. It's going to be a roar. It's going to be great. People are going to be singing hallelujah. There's going to be a lot of food, and God's going to be there. And I want you to come. Like, this is what the Bible talks about when it's asking you to focus on things that are eternal. I know there's so much going on in your life every day. God knows that. Uh, but you ought to know what's to come. And those things ought to be infinitely more valuable infinitely more worthy and infinitely more prioritized than anything you're dealing with today and tomorrow. Mm, this is good, isn't it? 
Okay. Gals, I talked about my life growing up earlier. Your turn. Uh, growing up, I bet there was one event that you played over in your mind a million times, and it was your wedding, right? Some people are like, not me. Well, most of you, okay? And there's something you did, okay? You planned in your mind. I mean, you're, this is what dress I'm going to wear, all right? This is what my flowers are going to look like. Uh, this is who's invited. This is who's not invited, all right? Here's who my bridesmaids are going to be, my maid of honor, or matron, depending if my, is my, my sister's going to get married. Oh, my sister's going to get married. i got to plan her wedding, too. You get my point? You're spending all this time thinking about an event that is yet to come. And you're planning it because you can't wait. You're looking forward to it. It's something that you're like, I cannot wait. This day is going to be great, and my husband better love it as much as I do, right? But it's something that you planned for, and it's something that you look forward to. And maybe you're wondering about it at six years old, but then when you become a teenager, you start thinking about it because you start like, oh, uh, actually, I probably will get married, right? And then you're, you're a young adult, and you're like, I better start knowing about what marriage is about. And then, like, then you start planning it because you're actually engaged and you need to get married and you got to plan the wedding. And I'm saying as Christians, you're way, 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 way beyond wondering about what it means to be a Christian in eternity. You're already engaged. You're about to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb and you need to be planning on this thing. We've got to be planning for it. Here's a problem that I've found in, in our lives. Even, even Christians who are trying to get it right is you're too concerned about where you came from and where you are, and you're too little concerned about the future. You're too little concerned about what's going to happen in eternity. Here's the good thing about the gospel. The gospel doesn't care where you came from. Right? The gospel says, I am a, uh, a new creation. Behold, the newest come, the oldest passes away. Where you come from doesn't matter. We don't need to focus on where we came from. We need to focus on two things, where we are and where we're going, because that's what the gospel focuses on. The gospel doesn't care where you came from. The gospel cares on where you are and where you're going. And we as Christians should focus so much on where am I at right now and where am I going? Because if I can understand where I'm standing and I can understand where I need to go, I can understand all the steps I need to take between here and there. And the first thing Scripture teaches is for us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. That's what the gospel teaches us to do. This is the same thing that the rest of the New Testament is teaching us to do, is to say we have got to be concerned with where we're going. We can't navigate culture if we don't know where we're going. One of the best ways we can do this uh, is stop looking at eschatology, which means study of the end times, right? And I know, I know, depending on where you grew up, that just you just may got angry in your mind or something, or so much anxiety that you're like, I don't even talk about it. Okay, that's the problem, you, you realize, right? Uh, for you to not think about eschatology, the study of the end times, or the things that are to come, right? Revelation, things to be revealed, things are to come. If you will not think about those things, uh, you're already at a disadvantage, because it's there for you to think about. It's there for you to learn. It's there for you to study so you can look forward to those things. Now, here's what also what I hear. I don't really study, because this was me, by the way, so I know this is also you because it was me, okay? Eschatology is a second, third tier issue. It's not about salvation, so I, just, I don't even get into it. And that's true, right? Your eschatology does not amount to your salvation, okay? But it's your birthright, you realize. Maybe you were born, but you don't know anything about where you're going. Your eschatology, understanding of where we're going in eternity, it's your birthright. As a Christian, you were born into that family, and that family has a story to tell about what's going to happen, and it's your birthright to know what's going to happen. It's your birthright to say, I'm preparing for what's going to happen. And it really has an impact on how I live today because it's my birthright. I was born for this. And for us to say, ah, I don't want any part of it, you don't want your birthright? You don't, you don't want to know what your life has been saved from and saved to. You don't want to know that. That's, you're lying. You want to know that. we got to know. we got to study God's Word. And that was just one example in Revelation 19. One of the big mistakes that we make in our life as Christians is we do not see our present position in light of our future position. You see, you don't see how you of right now is going to be you of eternal. You don't see you right now in light of what and who you are eternally. And that's a problem. That's a problem because God's Word even says as much about what you're going to be like. And even when it leaves that blank of, you don't know completely what you're going to be like, it tells you who does and how you can find out. I want you to look at it. Uh, look at uh, verse 3. 
You want to know, what am I going to be like? We need to look at our current position in light of our future position. Because it says in verse 3, you have died. So there's your current position. It doesn't get much worse than that, does it? You're dead, all right? But this is a good news, right? Because if the first thing, if you want to stop thinking about the things of the earth, the first thing you've got to realize is you're dead. All right, what does a dead person concern themselves with here on earth? Nothing. If you can put yourself in that position, because that's where you are truly. Physically, I'm alive. Spiritually, I'm dead to the things of the, earth, the world, right? Things that are transient, things that are perishing. I'm dead to those things. But what I'm not dead to is this. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. This is... This is a motif we find through Scripture, the idea that, that you're hidden, the idea uh, that uh, who you are is not completely revealed, uh, even in Scripture. We know those things. But what we do know is who we are is hidden, and it's hidden with Christ. I'm going to rewind just a half a second. When I think about focusing on things that are not here, uh, if I'm a dead person, I'm not focusing on anything here, Right? Uh, but if I'm a dead person, as in a, through a Christian worldview, according to the Bible, I'm focusing on something because my body is not here and I'm not alive. I'm dead, which means if I'm dead, that means I'm present with God, right? And so from a, a biblical worldview, when I'm dead, I know that my focus is completely on the God of the universe because when I enter into this presence, I'm not going to be focused on anything else. So you see what I'm saying? How easy it is when you understand biblical theology to understand I'm dead, I'm dead to the things of the world. But when I'm dead to the things of the world, through a biblical Christian worldview, I have to be alive to something, and I'm alive to Christ. I'm alive to the presence of God, which, with that biblical worldview, you're like, how can I focus on anything else? Yes, that's exactly right. You should not be focused on anything else but Christ. And here's the good news about that, because people like to balk and say, I hate going down these rails, but trails, but I have to, okay? People balk and say, if I focus on Christ, like, what about my marriage? What about my kids? I'm like, if you would first focus on Christ, Christ teaches you how to be a good husband and a good wife. If you would focus on Christ, he teaches you how to raise your kids. But the problem is you want to do all those things and not focus on Christ. When Christ tells you, if you focus on me, I'm also going to teach you how to do those things well. Anyway, back to the sermon. Hmm. All right, verse three, second half of verse 3. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. I want you to understand this. Your life is hidden with Christ. It's the motif, right? It's hidden. And here's the crazy thing. The younger you are, the more you're like this. I don't think it ends when you get old either. Uh, you want to know, like, who am I? You know, why am I here? Uh, and, and depending on if you're getting some transcendental meditation and you're into some things you ought not to be, who is my true self? Like, you want to know these things. It's the human nature to want to know who I am. Well, the great thing about being a Christian is who you are is, e- is eternally tied up in who Christ is. Right? Who you are, who you are now, who you will be, and who you will be forevermore is, is intricately woven into who Christ is. And I love this because you're supposed to keep your mind on things above. Your life is above. It's hidden with Christ. So if you would just go after Christ, you're going to learn a lot more about yourself than you could have ever imagined. Because you're there. You're hidden in Him, and you're supposed to seek those things. Are you trying to seek God for you? No. Are you going to find out a lot about you through seeking Christ? There's a peculiar oddity in the Christian faith. And this is where a lot of us, we, we, we get to this hurdle and we, we don't want to jump over it. There's an oddity of being a Christian and it's peculiar. And I'd call it a quality. It's not an oddity, I'd call it a quality. Okay, the problem with being Christian is that you're strange. You're a strange human being. And here's why you're strange. Because everything I just said up here, very strange. Okay, and here's why it's strange. Uh, if I'm focusing on things that are above and not at things of the earth, I'm staring at something the world doesn't see. You hear me? Okay. The minute that you're focusing on things that are, that are not transient, that are not perishing, that are not things of the earth, everyone's like, what are you looking at, man? Get your head out of the clouds. Okay. You're not looking at things the world's looking at, so you're going to be strange. You know what else you're doing? You're living for something the world doesn't understand. Hey, why didn't you take that promotion the other day, dude? We've been working at this company for 20 years, and you said the minute that I could be the vice president of this company, I was going to take it. And, and you look at him and you say, yeah, I know, but they told me I wasn't going to be around my family. Uh, they told me I had to work on Sundays. They told me I was going to work on Tuesday night during my life group, and I just can't do that because I'm so focused on things that are eternal. I'm not, these things, that was an easy no, easiest no I've ever said, because I'm not thinking about things that are transient, things that are perishing. I'm thinking about things that are eternal. And you know who's eternal? Souls. Souls are eternal. Did we already talk about that in here? No. Souls are eternal. 
And that's what I mean by focusing on people, inviting people over to your house, investing in people, because souls are eternal. Everything else in this whole room, I want you to look around, all this is going to be gone. If you're in the overflow room or watching online, everything around you is going to be gone. But you know what's not going to be gone? Every soul in this entire room. You want to know what you should be investing in? Souls. Okay? You know, I talk about peculiar and odd. You know, we're also talking about things the world doesn't believe. You know how hard it is for me? Can you imagine your pastor not focusing on eternity? If I wouldn't focus on eternity, it would be hard for me to get up here and preach every single week on things the world doesn't believe. Because I could sit up here every week and I say, well, nobody even here even believes this. Why am I up here teaching this? Because I believe it. And I know it to be true. And I know it to be historical. And I know it's to come. And what I need to do is make sure everyone else knows that and understands that, at least has the opportunity to respond to it. But you are talking about things the world doesn't believe. See, if you believe in the Bible, you're as strange as it gets. And that makes it hard to live now for there because you're odd and you're strange and people don't understand. But that makes it so much more important in your life to do this, and it's point number two. You need to start living for the then and there in the here and now. Right? You need to start living for there right now. Start living for the then and there in the here and now. And that's all wound up in this. Don't be concerned about being strange. I get it. Right? I, it, it, you will. You're going to sound strange. You're sound strange because your life is hidden with Christ. Right? Who you are and who you're going to be is wound up in who Christ is. And so everyone is automatically going to think the same thing about you that they think about Christ in some way. If somebody's like, I don't want to acknowledge Christ, I don't want to have anything to do with him, well, your life is wound up in him. So of course they're not going to want anything to do with you. But for those people who are like, you know what? Makes lots of sense. I want to follow Christ. They're going to look at you and say, you, you got it. You knew. You got this. See, the problem is, you cannot look at your life in, through the lens of how everyone looks at you. You have to look at your life through the lens of what God has said in his word. And what he said in his word is he's coming back. So we need to start living for the then and there and the here and now. Philippians 3. You can jot that reference down. Philippians 3. Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21, give a good cross-reference to everything we're talking about this morning. And it shows us exactly what we need to understand uh, concerning how we ought to live right now and how we ought to also be looking forward to the future. Philippians 3, 17 through 21, it says this, Brothers, join in imitating me. So there's already a necessity to say, you got to do something right now. Paul wants people to imitate him. He's saying, therefore, I'm living a certain way, and I want you to live the way that I'm living. And he says this as much right after this. He says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. There is a real need and real command in Scripture that as Christians, you're walking in a particular manner. That you're walking in a way that you're imitating the Apostle Paul. That you're keeping your eyes on people who walk according to the example that you have in Scripture. You ought to be looking for people who are following God and going right after them. That's, that's a biblical pattern of obedience. Find people who are doing it and go with them. And I know there's people, well, my justification is in Christ alone. Yeah, no, nobody argued that, all right? I mean, that, no one's arguing those things. But what we are saying is, I do not want you to stand before God using that same phrase, because he's going to look at you and says, I bared so much testimony and witness that your life ought to be reflecting the decision you made, and your life never reflected that. We've already talked about that in sermons past, but you've got to see that there is an expectation for how you walk as a Christian. Verse 18, and here's the problem. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And here's what it means to be an enemy of the cross of Christ. And this is why it's so important on how we walk, friends. Because maybe you aren't an enemy of Christ, but are you looking like one? Right? Uh, verse 19. Here's a person who walks as an enemy to Christ. Their end is their destruction. That means they don't realize that the time is going to come for judgment, and their end is going to be destruction. It's not being invited to the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's not to rule in the millennium for a thousand years with Christ. It's not, to be, it's not to watch the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and the new temple come out of heaven and to be able to rule there forever. Okay? That's not their place. Their place is destruction. Next, their God is their belly. That means whatever I'm hungry for today is what gets my attention. Right? The one thing I want today, that's what I'm going after today. Their God isn't the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their God is themselves. What else? They glory in their shame. This, this is amazing. What they find interesting and majestic and awe-inspiring are the things that, in God's eyes, puts them to shame. They go after things that are idolatrous and sinful and things that Christians ought not to even be talking about, and yet, to them, that's their glory. That's the thing they want to focus on. That's the thing they want to prop up. And to, for the Christian to even do those things would be their shame. 
And inevitably, even these people who their glory is in those things will inevitably end up in their shame. Now, finally, here's another thing that marks somebody who walks as an enemy of the cross of Christ. Their minds are set on earthly things. Do you see this, friends? We have got to make sure that as Christians, our minds aren't set on earthly things. That is literally what, what it means to be an enemy of the cross, to not be focused on things that are eternal. We got to be focused on things that are eternal. If not, our minds are set on earthly things, and that's exactly what people do who are enemies of Christ. And here's how you can focus on things that are eternal. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I love about citizenship? You can only be a citizen of a place that has a geographical location. Do you know that? You go try to be a citizen somewhere that doesn't exist. You can't. The good news about the gospel is you get to be a citizen of a place that is real. Like, it's not a fairy tale. It's not something you write in a book. It's a real place. And it's going to be a real place that you're going to be. And that's why we have to live right now for the then and there because it's a legitimate place. And from that legitimate place, we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what's going to happen. Here's why I can do all of this here and now waiting for the then and there. Verse 21. He's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And he's going to do it by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Do you see, the, the winner here is super obvious. You, you realize that Christ has got this wrapped up pretty tight. Right? There's not a lot that's going to, there's nothing that's going to, uh, that's going to hamper the plans of God. Uh, but we can choose to be a part of God's plans or not. And that's why we implore everyone to be reconciled to God. We're ambassadors of Christ saying, Get your life in right relationship with God. And, and here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying, you, well, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you need to become a monk or a nun, okay? I'm not saying that, ah, I just can't, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe if those things are drawing you to sin, by all means, okay? But what I'm saying is your life today has real implications, real implications. And I want you to look at Scripture and understand that God expects your life to be a certain way here as you're preparing and getting ready for there. And not only to mention that, uh, if we understand that the things in verse 19 of Philippians 3 talks about people who walk as enemies of, of Christ, and that's their testimony, you realize that's what they're known for. That's their testimony. What should a Christian be known for? Planning for eternity. Setting their minds on things that are above. Focusing on Christ. Sharing the gospel with people in their community. That's what it means to, to keep your minds focused on things that are above. And there may be very well some Christians in here who say, I haven't been doing those things. Great, but you're in here and you're listening to the Word of God right now and it's telling you to do those things. So as an obedient child of God, what are you going to do? You're going to do those things. But inevitably, there are also people in here that says, I've done none of those things. I've called myself a Christian my whole life and I look more like verse 19. I go after the things that I want to. I understand that God's wrath is coming. My God is me. Uh, I glory in the things that Christians don't even, shouldn't even be talking about and my minds are set on things of the earth. Well, good news for you is there's a gospel for that. The good news for you is that you can turn from those things, turn from those sins, and trust in the God who came and died because of those things. See, this is all good news. And now we can all keep our minds focused on things that are above. You know, one benefit, one benefit, there's many, but I try to focus a little bit here. One benefit in living now for the then and there is you're going to find yourself on the right side of history. Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to find yourself on the right side of history? I find this is a buzz, a buzz term these days, especially in politics. And Don't you want to find yourself on the right side of history? You need to do this. You're going to find yourself on the right side of history. You need to vote this way to find yourself on the right side of history. You need to say yes to this if you want to be on the right side of history. Friends, let me tell you how to find yourself on the right side of history. Look at verse 4 of, Philippians, or sorry, of Colossians 3. Colossians 3, 4, the last verse here. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You want to find yourself on the right side of history, friends. You better find yourself appearing when Christ appears. Because there's going to be two places to be when Christ returns, okay? Uh, it's either going to be with Christ or outside of Christ, okay? Just a little bit of eschatology here, just so you understand the end times. Okay, uh, the, the, the return of Christ. When we speak of the return of Christ, uh, we're not all, we're not being here. If you're a Christian, you're not going to be here at the return of Christ, you realize. Uh, you're going to be raptured before that. So you're going to be taken up. Christ is going to come meet you in the air. So he didn't return because he never came back down because scripture says he's going to come down exactly where he left on the Mount of Olives, right? Good. All right. Uh, he's going to meet us in the air. 
Then we're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to wait a few years, all right? And then Christ is going to come down, and he's going to be on a white stallion, okay? And he's going to be leading multitudes back down to earth. And you know who those multitudes are? Us, okay? We're coming back down, and that's what this says. When Christ, who is your life, appears in his second coming, you're going to appear with him. Duh, if you understand the Bible, that's exactly what it says. We will be. Read Revelation. We're going to be coming back with him. So that, again, is the right side of history. You want to be on the right side of history, you better be on your horse riding Jesus' coattails, okay? Because if you're not, that's a problem. We got to be making sure we're riding on the coattails of Christ. And that's what my life should look like every day anyway. I may be riding on the coattails of Christ when I'm coming back to, to institute the millennial kingdom here on earth, but I better be riding on his coattails right now. Oof. All right. But when he appears, you're going to appear. All those things that you weren't sure about, that you didn't know about, I don't know all these, those things are going to appear. Of course, there's things you're never going to know. There's things that are going to be very difficult for you to understand, but there's so much of it that's clear, and that which is not clear is going to be crystal clear. And you need to be looking forward to that. Who you are is invariably wound up in who Christ is. Do you understand that? Everything about you is wound up in who Christ is, and that's the good news about being a Christian because I'm not wound up in my sin and my shame. I'm not wound up in the wrath of God being poured out on all creation. I, I was wrapped up in those things when I wasn't a Christian, but now I'm wound up in Christ. So everything about me is with him. And that means this, that his appearance should be the number one event in history that you're anticipating. Do you hear that? That historical event in a geographical location should be the number one thing that you're looking forward to the most. Not the Super Bowl, right? Not your kid's playoff game, Right? Uh, not the new shoes that are coming out next month. I can keep going. You get the point. Nothing should be on your radar. Pinpoint it. I can't wait for this date more than when Christ comes, brings his church with him. We get to be there with him, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then we get to ride behind him as he comes down and, 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 and institutes the millennial kingdom here on earth. And there's more to come even after that, but at least we can look that far, Right? The reason, I, the reason I say this, the reason I want to continue helping you look at things to come, the appearance of Christ, our appearance with him, is because I need you to do this, and it's point number three. I need you to grasp your connection to Christ's reign. Grasp your connection to Christ's eternal reign. I, I need you to do it, because if you won't, you're going to have a hard time living for there. You're going to have a hard time keeping your minds on things above. If you can't literally realize that there are geographical locations and historical events that are coming that as Christians we get to be a part of. Right? And when I see that there's these amazing things coming, these things here kind of lose their sparkle, don't they? These things kind of lose their, their, their appeal to me because I'm like, you want me to run for homecoming, king? I'm going to be reigning with the king. You hear what I'm saying? Like, I mean, we keep going. You want, that, you want to get that promotion next week? Well, I'm about to be promoted, all right? You see, it, these things become a lot less important when, these things, uh, when I keep these in view, when I keep these as understandings of historical events that are going to happen in the life of a Christian. And we've got to realize, when it comes to grasping your connection to Christ's eternal reign, and I apologize because we as pastors and churches don't do this as well as we should, we do not help our church understand that Jesus doesn't just get you to eternity, he commands your eternity, right? And we all know this. Yeah, how do you get to heaven? Jesus. Okay, what happens after that? I don't know. That's, we need to know, okay? Because we can know. He's going to command our eternity, right? When we're there, uh, who's going to be the center of our worship? Christ, right? Who's going to be telling us what we need to be doing? Christ. Right? Who's going to be telling us where we have stewardship and authority in the new, the, new, the new heaven and new earth? Christ. You see what I'm saying? It's not just getting us there that Christ does. He is our there. Like when we're there, we get to do the things that he asks us to do. Can I show you that? Go to Revelation 22. Right? Your responsibility to Christ doesn't end at the rapture. It doesn't end when you die. It never ends, and that's the reason I, I, I don't ever try to implore somebody to become a Christian who is just begrudgingly wanting to follow Christ, because like, if you can't follow Christ right now, you're going to have a hard time doing it for the rest of eternity, and we've got to be excited for that. I mean, this should be a, a kind of sermon that just gets you going. Like, you, you should be getting ready to get out of here and going and live your life uh, for the Lord after this sermon. Revelation 22, look at verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. That's good news, right? Men, your bellies and your head, no longer accursed. Uh, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. So there's the first thing I know. The throne of God and the Lamb will be there. So wherever we're going, God's going to be there, Christ is going to be there, and they're going to be enthroned. Okay. And here's also what's going to happen. And his servants will worship him. Who's his servants? 
us. What were you called? A servant. What are you going to be doing? Serving. All right? You're going to be serving Christ. You're going to be a slave. If I had to bet, I bet that word right there is actually doulos in the Greek. And that means you're not only just going to be serving him, you're going to be the slave of Christ. That's what the Greek word doulos is rendered. So it's not like you're just, you got a platter. I mean, no, no, you, he owns you. You're his. He does with you what he pleases. And the great thing is, if you have a bad idea and some strange, demented view of what, of what Christ is pleasing to Christ, then you're going to look at that and think, well, well, I don't want anyone to own me. You want Christ to own you because he's perfect. And he's going to purpose you, and he's going to, he's going to lead you into perfection. You want to be owned by that, I promise. All right? You're, you're his slave. He owns you. Guess what else you're going to do? You're going to worship him. You're going to worship him. You're going to spend your time worshiping God, which always brings you to this point. If you have a hard time sitting in here for an hour worshiping God through, through, worship, through music, through giving, uh, through sitting under the teaching of God's word, you're going to have a hard time doing this for the rest of eternity. And I'm saying, get, it's okay, get into the rhythm, because you've been doing this for a long time. It's going to be great going to be great. All right. Verse four, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Again, talking about servants, doulos, slave, uh, his name is going to be on you. You're like Andy's toy, okay? And you lift up your foot, his name is there, except for it's going to be here, all right? He owns you. You're his, okay? Like, and it's going to be, there's going to be no question on who, who's owned who and who's the authority over who, okay? We know. Verse five, and night will be no more, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And here, listen to this. They will reign forever and ever. Who's reigning forever and ever? We are reigning forever and ever. We're not, we're not, the, we're not the Aaron boy, which we are the Aaron boy by all means. But realize in that, like, oh, I got responsibility. I got authority. They want me to do something up there? Yes. Okay. And that's what I'm saying. Why does your life mean so much here? Because you're an heir to God, and he's got places for you to, uh, to demonstrate uh, his rule through your life in eternity. Isn't that cool? Like, and you're like, why do I need to live for the Lord here? Uh, that's why, okay? Because we're going to reign with him. Like, you better believe God's got expectations for us here. Live holy lifestyles. Go do good works. Be joyful in the Lord because you realize what's coming for us. I mean, this is, come on, guys. I mean, if you can't be excited about what God's doing, I don't know what to tell you. Open up your Bible and read it. It's great. Whew. Here's the best way you're going to do that. You want to grasp your connection to Christ's eternal reign. You need to do uh, two things, and they're wound up in one another. One, you need to realize that future prophecy is historical events yet to happen. And I think this is the problem when we read the Bible. We sometimes try to read it like a fairy tale or like a fictional book. But you need to read the prophecies of the New Testament. When you read Revelation, you need to see them. These are events, these are historical events that are going to happen. Right? Not a cool story that I heard the other day. Can't, hey, my pastor told me this. You ought to see them as God sees them, and God sees them as events that he has put on his calendar, and you ought to understand them as events that are going to happen. Now, that kind of makes you kind of think, oh, man, that's real. It's like this. You're a grandparent in here. If you're a grandparent and your, daughter is gradu- or your granddaughter is going to graduate high school in three years, and you went up to her and you said, hey, gal, I'm going to buy you a car when you graduate, All right. You went and you put that on your calendar saying, okay, May 12th, uh, I told, promised my, my granddaughter I was buying her a car. Okay, it's an historical event. Now you kind of, you attach some reality to it, right? This real because I see it now. It's a promise and there it's on the calendar. Now you need to do the second part. You need to place yourself in the historical events, all right? You need to place yourself in the historical events. That is, uh, where are you going to be when Christ returns with the saints? Are you going to be on his coattails riding with him? Or are you going to be down here in which he brings his wrath and judgment? Right? See what I'm saying? Uh, I liken it like this. Uh, you're the grandmother again. Now, position yourself on May 12th. Did you indeed buy your granddaughter a car that she's been waiting for for three years and got A's on all her report cards because she was looking forward to May 12th when she was going to graduate and get this car? Or did you promise her something and you didn't deliver? See, w- when you can put yourself on that date of May 12th, you're thinking, I better get my life uh, to a place where I feel like I can get up to my granddaughter and say, I got you a car. I prepared for it. I planned for it. I paid for it. And here it is. Is, can, Can your granddaughter disown you if you don't do that? Not in any real biological way. right? Just like God's not going to disown you in a biological way uh, because, uh, because you didn't live a perfect life, you realize. But here's what I always put that caveat in here because here's the problem. As Matthew 7 says, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's the problem with this. Many people in here are like, well, if I don't live perfect, I'm still going. It's like, if the Holy Spirit lives in you and you didn't change, then I'm a concerned, 
okay? Because when the Holy Spirit lives in a person, there is no option but to become holy. To be perfect? Absolutely not. To, to become, to be holy, to be walking in holiness, there's no other option. And so if you're somebody who said, I, I gave my life to Christ when I was born, <laughs> what? Uh, and, you know, I just haven't been living f- with, for him for years. I'm like, how powerful is God? Tell me. All-powerful, it's the word omnipotent, right? So uh, is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. That's what we call the Trinity. They're all God, right? They're all fully and completely God. Okay, that infinite, uh, omnipotent God now lives inside of every Christian. Do you think there's any option but a Christian to become more holy, yes or no? No other option. So that, you see what I'm saying here? So when I'm saying like, well, what happens if I'm not perfect? Uh, what happens if, you know, Grandma didn't buy, buy the car? Okay, my point of the matter is this that grandma is going to buy the car because she has the Holy Spirit in her. And the Holy Spirit is going to drive her to plan and prepare for buying that car because that's a, time, it's a date on the calendar and she's looking forward to it. Just like every Christian is going to be looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb and the rapture. They're going to be looking to ride on the coattails of Christ. And so, of course, your life is going to be becoming more holy because you have it on the calendar. The Holy Spirit lives in you and he's going to drive you to it. Do you hear me, church? Do you hear that? So that's what I'm saying. To be a Christian, there's only one option and it's up from here. Right? And that's why we can save for certain to make sure that we're not Philippians 3.19 and our end is our destruction, our God is whatever we're hungry for, our glory is in our shame, and our minds are set on earthly things. That's a great example. If that's you, the scripture says, hey, you need to check yourself. Because if I look at this as a Christian, this may be every once in a while true about me, but it's not the rule in my life. It's the exception. And is the rule in your life holiness and looking at things above, or is the rule of your life in destruction, God is your belly, your glory is in your same, and your mind is set on earthly things? Because if that's the rule in your life, then we need to have a conversation. But for those of us who are in Christ, we need to grasp our connection to God's eternal reign, to the eternal reign of Christ, so we can look forward to that. We can place ourselves in that historical position, and then we can live in this life just excited and just as eager to live not only right now as heirs of God as people who are doing good works and living in righteousness here because we're excited. I mean, I, how could you not be doing those things when we know what's coming, okay? And you're going to be a testimony to people who don't see it and don't understand it. My hope in this sermon, as, as we end this sermon series, my hope is that this sermon stops you in your tracks because that's what the Bible does. That's what God's Word does. I mean, to li- you cannot even come to Christ without first stopping in your tracks because to repent literally means to turn, and to turn, you have to stop. And for you in here, I just pray that this sermon stops you and thinks, oh man, I have not been doing that. That is not what my life looks like. And I want, I want to give you hope and encouragement that you need to consider what's at stake when you neglect giving attention to eternal matters. I want you to, to understand what's at stake. I mean, we have, we have a God who's coming and, he, and he's going he's gonna to make, make the world perfect, but in making the world perfect, he's going to get rid of all unrighteousness. And if I'm unrighteousness, yeah, and you're unrighteous, that means he's going to come get rid of us. But yeah, he says, I don't, he said, it's not my desire and my will that none should perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. That's literally, so for people who say God isn't angry, he's not angry. He's patient. We talked about last week. He, he's so patient, wishing that all would repent, that none would perish. And yet we walk in foolishness thinking God's not coming back. He's going to come. Christ is coming. He's going to make everything perfect. And we want to make sure that we are getting as many people on this boat as we can. So when Christ comes back, we're like, look, we're ready. We're here. We planned for it. I wondered about it. I was knowing about it. I was thinking about it. And I was planning for it. And now you're here. This is going to be great. See what I'm saying, church? Let's be that kind of church. Let's be those people who are ready to get out there this week and keep our minds on things that are above. Let's pray. God, we come to you right now uh, knowing that we're so finite. God, we're just we're so incapable uh, of understanding. But God, with that, we also understand that you have given us some invaluable things. You've given us your, your spirit that lives in us, that gets to convict us concerning righteousness and judgment and truth, and you get to lead us in those things. And you've also given us your revelation through your very word. And God, there is no excuse. We have everything we need to live upright and godly lives here in the present age as your word teaches 
God, we don't do it because it's belaborous and because it's just, it's, it's, it's just monotonous and, and not joyful, but we do it because we're eagerly awaiting for a, a, a timeline event. We're, we're waiting for an historical event to happen, and so we're eagerly excited to wait here, looking forward to what you're going to do. When, when you are revealed, we'll be revealed with you. God, what a wonderful truth that is. For all of us who have been sealed with your Spirit, who have turned from our sins and trusted in Christ, what a day. And we pray that we can live that way this week, this year, for the rest of our life as we look forward to your return, as we look forward to our place in your kingdom. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.